Welcome to the Stacking Growth Podcast. I'm Tori Kinlick, VP of Demand Generation at Refine Labs and your host for today's episode. On this episode, I sat down with Braden Masson-Jones, a performance marketing manager here at Refine Labs, and we covered cognitive biases and the implications for marketers. A super interesting topic, um, maybe not one that you might expect to hear about from the Refine Labs team and all of our demand gen experts over here, but uh, there are definite implications for marketers, especially demand gen marketers. Um, really love the episode and, and the topic and had a good time recording it. Hope you all have a good time listening. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Tori Kinlick. Welcome to the show today, my colleague, Braden Matson-Jones, who is a performance marketing manager here at Refine Labs. Braden, would you mind just uh, giving a quick intro? For sure. What's up, everyone? My name is Braden, as Tori said, with the Refine team for just about three months now. It's been an awesome experience. And yeah, I'm stoked to uh, be here and dive into this topic. Awesome. I'm really excited for this topic, too. Uh, and I know I say that probably on each episode, but I, I am legitimately excited for, for this topic. This one uh, feels um, a little bit uh, maybe out of the ordinary for some of the, the topics that you're typically hearing from the Refine Labs team. And so um, it's definitely got my wheels turning. Today, we're going to be talking about the implications of unconscious decision drivers for marketing, uh, also known as cognitive bias. So for those of you unfamiliar, right, we each have a very unique viewpoint on the world, on our surroundings, based on our preconceptions, on our past experiences, um, the environments that we spend our time in, the people that we surround ourselves with, uh, our upbringing, what part of the world we're from. Um, however, these thoughts, these feelings, these preconceived notions are not always 100% reflective of reality. Uh, so I think, um, uh, simply put, right, these cognitive biases are a bit of a distortion of reality um, through which, you know, we each view the world, our own individual lens. Uh, and so when um, when Braden reached out and, and mentioned that he wanted to hit on this topic, it actually reminded me of a book I read a couple of years ago called Invisible Influence by Jonah Berger. For those of you that haven't read that one, uh, I highly recommend it. A really great book kind of on this this topic certainly has a little bit of a marketing spin on it but um, more than anything it, it kind of dives into the uh, really the aspect of how other people have an impact on our own decision making um, and so I think right it's it, it's human nature to learn from those around you uh, it's you know where we as humans are are, are social creatures um, I'm reminded of uh, the ads that are running on TV right now uh, by progressive insurance I believe um, about kind of turning into your parents right uh, they're absolutely hilarious and, and really well done maybe my, my favorite um, current campaign on, on TV right now but uh, you know, so many of us, especially those that are, are you know, kind of around my age right now and in my, my mid thirties here, but um, so many of us are are often caught saying like, oh man, you know, I, this is something my, my parents would do. I'm turning into my father. I'm turning into my mother. Um, that's natural, right? It happens to everybody because these are people that we have spent so much time around, uh, that we have spent so much time watching, mimicking, learning from um, as we, we grew up. 
And, uh, and so, you know, it is just, um, it, it's kind of a, a very natural occurrence that, um, you know, that we are influenced by, uh, by the people around us and, and, you know, especially that example. And, and I think uh, another couple examples that come to mind right now, uh, much more marketing specific, right, is the, the rise of communities in marketing. Um, that is a, a huge buzz right now. Everyone's out there trying to figure out how to create communities, how to be a part of more communities, how to monetize communities, how to uh, get you know uh, leads and opportunities out of communities, which you shouldn't do, by the way. But um, I think the uh, the reality is right is that these communities that everyone is leaning into right now, it is um, it's a fantastic trend, right? Because number one, it plays into you know what we at Refine Labs here call dark social, which is really all about um, all the conversations that are happening outside of a lot of the you know uh, attributable touch points that happen you know through content and websites and, and all that. Um, but in these communities, you're surrounded by people that you trust, people that you want to engage with, that you want to learn from, that you want to influence you. Uh, and so I think, you know, just all the um, the focus and uh, the, the current trends around communities and marketing, great example of, um, you know, of, of social influence and to some extent of, of cognitive bias that, that can come from all that social influence. Uh, another example that that comes to mind um, is, you know, when you're, let's say, running some uh, organic or, or paid social campaigns and you see all the, uh, you know, the comments on, on there, there and your eyes just kind of immediately gravitate towards those those negative reviews and those negative comments um, that has a an equal amount of impact on a person. Uh, and it's also something that I recommend to each of our clients that, um, you know, you don't just delete these comments, you you engage with them, you, uh, as Jay Bear calls it, you you hug your haters. Um, number one, it's, uh, it's just a, a good look for a company to be kind of trying to diffuse these things and, and show this, um, this empathy in a, a public setting. And it's an even better look if you're able to, to really resolve the issue for your client right there on social media. But, uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter here is, and what we're talking about today, um, these negative reviews, these these comments on social media, again, are another form of of social influence uh, and can have a uh, a very large impact on people. Which is why I, I, sig- I always recommend that you you embrace and acknowledge those comments instead of trying to hide them, delete them, or ignore them. Um, but here's the thing about cognitive bias, and and I'm going to turn it over to, to Braden to kind of collect some of his thoughts on on the topic as well. Uh, you have control over it, and the way that you can have control over it is by acknowledging that it is real, that it is a part of human nature, um, even if you don't want it to be, even if you feel like you're uh, someone that that bucks trends and, and stands out from the rest. The fact of the matter is there are things that happen around you, whether it be immediately around you or some point in your upbringing or engagements that you have with your friends or these communities that are going to impact the way that you make decisions and the preferences that you have. And if you are more aware of these things happening and you're uh, you, you know, your natural inclination to, um, you know, whether it be jump on a bandwagon or, uh, you know, need to kind of um, validate something that you had a preconceived notion about that uh, there's some data that maybe suggests that preconceived notion is wrong. Um, all of these cognitive biases and, and, and social influences are very real and they can be controlled to some extent as long as uh, you're embracing them and and understanding them. And so 
what I'm hoping to get out of this this episode today is um, to educate folks a little bit more on some of these unconscious decision drivers that that happen within marketing, so that we're all aware of them, um, so that we can ensure that they don't have too much of an impact on some of our decision making, but at the same time, so that we can use them to our advantage as marketers and sellers and find ways to uh, to better understand the way that. Uh, Purchases are made, and that you know buyer behavior is is happening behind the scenes, um, and and try to find ways that you know we can uh, that we can utilize them within our our everyday work here. And so, um, Braden, I I, I want to turn it over to you. I've kind of gone in a, a couple different directions here, a little bit of a rant, if you will. Um, but uh, I know that you had you know an idea or two in mind about um, you know maybe some current day examples that, uh, that, that you see that are, are, you know, uh, strong examples or of, of these, these implications of, of unconscious decision drivers. So, um, so what's on your mind? Yeah. Thanks, Tori. So I think one of the places that I like to start when I'm thinking about this and kind of having this conversation is that as marketers, it's important for us to acknowledge and, and we, do but there's this very meaningful intersection of psychology and marketing and the reason right is because whether we kind of like it or not or whether we ascribe negative intention to it or not our goal is to, to influence ultimately human behavior right not in a bad way but that's really what we're trying to do and so i think what's so interesting to me about this topic is partly that i think it can be very easy to make people uncomfortable because we don't want to talk about things that are outside of our control, which is one piece, but then also it has really meaningful implications for how we think about executing and specifically measuring marketing. And so one of my favorite examples to think about here is kind of traditional media. So the media channels that are offline. And so just to use an example, like I've been, I'm a hockey fan. And so anyone who watches hockey knows it's the playoffs. And so I've been watching a bit more, hockey than normal and so let's imagine that there's an evening game and like all hockey arenas there's ads all over the place right and so let's imagine there's one for chipotle on the ice i like chipotle and how many times do i see their logo over the course of a game i i don't know but it's it's gonna be a a, a number that isn't zero right now let's imagine that it's five or six p.m. I'm a little hungry and I decide that I don't want to make dinner, so I decide I'm going to get something delivered. In the moment that I use DoorDash or skip the skip the dishes or whatever that may be, and I choose Chipotle because I think of it and I make that choice to order Chipotle, everything about that is what we call a, a free choice because it is, and we're not here to debate free will. I exercise my will in that moment to choose Chipotle because I wanted it. But what's really interesting, I think the crux of the, or one of the cruxes, if you can say that of this conversation is that in that moment, I'm not aware of the connection between seeing Chipotle's logo just an hour ago, a whole bunch of times, and my desire and subsequent decision to order from there. And so I think often that we we can make a, a conscious connection between the two like oh i saw this ad and then i did this thing but what's even more interesting is when we don't make that connection and the reason that that is so important for marketing is because if we're not aware 100% aware as human beings of the connection then there's not a there's not a a software or anything on the planet that is going to be able to adequately give you that information and so the implication for marketers and business leaders is that 
part of evaluating marketing is a huge part of it is actually looking at business level outcomes because that's the only spot in the the signal to noise that's the only spot where we're able to adequately see these unconscious drivers show up if that makes sense it does and so you know i think that that there is an aspect of of timing that plays into this, right? Like, you know, using the example that, that you mentioned, um, now this is all very imaginary to me because, uh, we haven't seen playoff hockey in the Philadelphia area in, in quite some time here. So, um, this is all, uh, kind of a, a make-believe fantasy for me right now, but like it, using your example, if, you know, if it were around dinner time and I am sitting there watching hockey and, and, you know, I, I see this ad, um, y- y- I think that there is right a little bit more of that direct correlation between I saw this ad now it's time for me to uh, you know to to go grab something to eat and and this is the the choice I want to make whether I feel like it influenced me whether I recognize it happened or not um, and so that um, you know that uh, that timing aspect is is not always something that we have the ability to control as marketers. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of work that we can do from a, a targeting and audience building perspective, but we don't always know exactly when our ad is going to show up in front of a person. Uh, and so, um, yeah, what are your you know what are your thoughts on on just how we do? measure the impact of, of some of these things, recognizing that it's not a straight line from, you know, the time that someone sees this, this ad, whether it be on social media or on, you know, uh, the boards in a hockey rink um, versus when they actually go and, and convert or, or make that purchase. Yeah. I, I love this question. It's super, it's really actionable and directional, directional for marketers and, but also people who are in marketing leadership positions to be able to think about this better. And so the way that I, I love to think about this, and maybe I'll use another hockey analogy because we're on the subject, but I very strongly believe that I like to think about marketing. Ultimately, it's a, it's a team sport. You measure teams on team outcomes. In other words, you measure marketing on, on business level outcomes, in my opinion, and then advertising as a tactic or a strategy, depending on how you want to think about it, should be measured on the KPIs or key performance indicators, the things that you align with advertising specifically. So for example, if a goal of a campaign is to get a message in front of your ICP or your audience, you should be evaluating that on metrics that align with the goal of that campaign. So for example, things like engagement and reach and and consumption metrics that align with the goal of the specific effort. And then marketing as a team sport, if you will, overall is evaluated again on business level outcomes, because that's ultimately what marketing is trying to to drive. And so I think when you try to zoom in very, very far and, and, and be able to say, particularly in a, in a B2B context, which is even more complicated, but try to say this exact tactic or effort led to this exact outcome. It's really important for us to zoom out and try to remember that that direct level of relationship is just not something we're going to be able to achieve with accuracy, given all of the places, um, to your point, Tori, around dark social, everywhere that people are getting information plus so all those untrackable places plus layered on the unconscious drivers of decision that we're that we're talking about here today so that's the framework i really like to to use again advertising being evaluated on specific metrics and then marketing 
again, just like a team sport, right? You don't evaluate a goalie on team level metrics, right? You evaluate a goalie on things like goals against and save percentage. And then you evaluate, evaluate the team on the things the team collectively are trying to accomplish. Yeah, I, I, I think that's um, it's a great example. Uh, and so how are, um, you know, how should we, how should we go about acknowledging this, you know, these, these cognitive biases, right? The fact that, that they exist, uh, you know, what I was kind of talking through in my, my preamble here is that acknowledging their existence is one way to um, hopefully steer clear from just, you know, getting into a place where, where you're just completely controlled by, uh, by, by all these, these unconscious decision drivers. Um, and so, how do we go about uh, making the case, let's say, to um, an executive team or a leadership team that, you know, we want to be uh, we want to be running these these advertisements, um, despite the fact that we know we're not going to be able to track the the efficacy of them. We're not going to be able to track every single impression, especially like the example that you're talking about, right, of, of a, uh, you know, a physical out of home ad in this case on a billboard, uh, excuse me, on a, on a, um, the boards in a hockey rink, you know, we can be talking about billboards on the side of the road or an airport as well, but how should, uh, how should marketers go about trying to justify this to their leadership team when they have to go get budget for these things that we're acknowledging, you know, they, they may or may not have uh, a true influence on the, the purchasing decision, but we do, we can say with certainty that, um, whatever influence it may or may not have, we're not going to be able to track it. So, uh, so yeah, how are, how are marketers to, to act here when, when going about trying to, to justify the spend and, and getting the approvals needed to, um, you know, to, to maybe launch a, an effort like this and, and try to, to have an impact on that, uh, that, that purchase at a, at a later date. Yeah. Another question I love, I think there's, there's probably two prongs to this. I think the first is around, really drilling home that the reality in the 21st century is that more things go untracked than tracked. And that might ruffle some feathers. We talk about attribution a lot at, at Refine Labs on this podcast and other places. And so we don't have to go down that rabbit hole too deeply. But I think just acknowledging that, like I said, more more things go untracked than tracked. That's that's the world that we live in, and you know, software is getting a snapshot. We could argue all day about what percentage coverage that snapshot is, but it is nonetheless a snapshot. Now, the second prong of this that I mentioned, there were two, and I think one of my favorite ways to do this is to actually just think about or encourage people to think about what was the last thing that you bought, whether in a professional context or a personal context, you know, something probably with a, a higher ticket price and think about your decision to buy that thing. How many touch points, how many people did you talk to? Did you hear about it from a, from a friend or, or go to a party for uh, thrown by someone who you don't know and they have this really cool kitchen gadget and then you go and Google it later. What does that process, what did that journey look like for you? And I think when you, when you do this, it, it is, it's useful because it allows the, the person to get the most accurate first party data ever, right? It's coming directly from their own head and it kind of helps externalize what it is that we're talking about because it's allowing other people to frame it in their own experience, which they know the best, 
right? We only know our own experience and it helps to illustrate when you really start drilling into this, like, oh yeah, I, I saw a YouTube video and then there was a YouTube comment that made me Google the thing. And then I talked to friends and then I'm in this community. And so I think grounding it from the perspective of the individual is a really helpful thing to do. So the combination of, to just kind of sum up those two points, number one, it's about drilling home and using data if you have to, the fact that most things or the majority of things, channels today go on track, number one, and then combine that or back that up with asking people to think about their own experiences. Yeah, I, yeah I, that's the way I like to. I go love about that, it. and um, yeah, I think the uh, the asking people how to uh, you know think back and into the last time they were a part of a uh, a team that made a purchase or or when they went about making that purchase themselves and and thinking through you know how they did that. Chances are it wasn't from uh, you know a cold email that they got from a sales rep that then they went and downloaded a white paper and started receiving emails and thought like, yeah. oh boy, you know what? Yeah. Like that's a good thing this person decided to reach out to me totally out of the blue. And thank goodness that I'm on their uh, their email cadence now because I'm constantly reminded of them and and I'm sent their their content. And um, you know what? After I've gotten three weeks of their emails from a, a sales development rep, I think I'm ready to make a purchase here, right? Like that just, that does not happen. Uh, and even if maybe yeah. it happened in to, to some degree of that, uh, it's been a long time since that has been the, the reality. Um, and I think, you know, what we're talking about here, right, is, is this, uh, this obsession with these attributable touch points with, um, you know, with, with data, needing that data to validate everything that we're doing. Uh, and that, you know, what you and I are talking about here today is suggesting that, you know, there might not always be data um, to help, you know, justify the, these things. However, uh, for many of the marketers out there today, you know, they do need to bring some data to the table to help justify these things. They don't have carte blanche. They don't have, uh, you know, the, the, the total faith and trust of their entire executive leadership team um, that's going to get behind everything that they say and do. And so, um, you know, do you have any tips for those out there that, uh, that are looking to get some level of, of data and insight, um, you know, around how people are uh, at least making some of these decisions or, or, you know, perhaps different ways that they can kind of get in the minds of their customers and understand what, what makes them, what makes them tick, what leads them to a, a purchase or a conversion. Yeah. I, I love this because I think it's, and I think it's going to be more of what we see as we continue with being able to track less and less things directly. And that is returning really to what I would call marketing fundamentals, right? Which is what everyone did, which is what businesses that had hyper growth did before the internet, right? They, they did customer research. They focused on who are we selling to first and trying to understand that group of people as best as they possibly could. And the good news for marketers today is that being able to do that is arguably easier than it has ever been with tools like winter or you know software that facilitates whether it's um, like uh, five second testing on landing pages or, or focus groups, etc. The internet has made it, I would say, easier than ever to get this what we would call qualitative data at scale, but it does return to getting some of that buy-in. And so I think that that's, that's a, a tricky conversation, but, but to, to answer this kind of point more directly, I think it's 
returning to these fundamentals, focusing on understanding your customer as much as possible. And when I say that, you know, we've all seen that Google Doc with the the quote unquote persona where it's like, you know, Maggie is 32 and has four kids. And I mean, like get like that get out of the Google Doc and and have conversations and do actionable customer research. And what you if you can bring, I think this is this is a really big piece of this is if you can show an executive team like, hey, we've been messaging this way for four years. And I talked to 10 of let's say you're selling to I don't know, CFOs. If you can show interviews with 10 CFOs where they say, what we like about your product is actually not X, which is what you've been messaging. What we like about it, the reason that we choose it is for A, B, and C. I think that that level of insight, any executive leadership team or person who ignores that, I mean, frankly, is just sleeping, right? So I think there there's ways to get this type of data, but it, it might require kind of thinking a little bit outside of box, you know, leaving GA and, and going to the CRM and talking to customers, but finding a way to present it and show it. Data doesn't only just mean numbers in a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets, but it, it can also come in other forms. And so as long as you can back up what you're saying with with truths from the horse's mouth, so to speak, I think you can be in good shape. Yeah, I I, I hear you on that one. And so um, I think a, a good point right now for us to maybe kind of start uh, getting into the the, the wrap up of um, of our, our conversation here. And so I want to throw a question out there for you. Um, I'll, I'll answer it while you're kind of thinking through what your response is going to be. But, uh, you know, what actionable takeaways do you have for any of the, the marketers and sellers out there who are trying to, um, you know, uh, combat this, um, this, this challenge right now that there is so much unconscious decision making, cognitive bias that, that's happening, uh, influences that are, are coming by way of effective advertising when, not every single ad or campaign that you run is going to be trackable and, and attributable and that you very well might not have that that provable ROI on your, your campaigns. And so my favorite way to do it, um, it's kind of what you were just mentioning there, right? It's, it's about collecting those qualitative insights. Uh, you mentioned a couple of great ways to collect qualitative insights, like talking directly to your clients. One of my favorite ways to do it, which is very easy and any marketer can do, is when you're out there running your ads, your sponsored content, and you're starting to get engagements, which you should be getting engagements. That's you know sign number one that you're uh, you've got the right audience and that you've got a message that resonates. Is people are going to start liking and commenting and sharing your ad. Take a couple snapshots of the the people that are liking that ad. Um, you'll see the companies that they're from, their titles. That should prove that hey, this ad is resonating with my ICP. These people that are seeing it and liking the the ad are who we want to be putting this in front of. And hey, maybe there's even some of your target customers on there or something as well. And similarly, you know, those people that are leaving comments, right? Um, take a couple snapshots of those as well. So, you know, we're all going into so many of these meetings with our, our executive teams, our leadership teams, and we're presenting all different types of data, uh, data visualizations and, and charts and graphs. Put a slide in your deck every once in a while that just shows a couple snapshots of your ads and the people that who are engaging with it. That is super powerful. Uh, and it does help drive home the fact that, hey, these people are that we want uh, to be seeing our ads, that we want to be impacting, that we want to be getting our brand in front of. 
we're having success doing it. Even if they're not going to come into our, our CRM, even if they're not going to get sent to an SDR for, uh, you know, a terrible email automated follow up from there. Um, you know, the, we are making an impact. And, uh, to go back to your earlier point, you know, if we keep making that impact, um, and all of a sudden the time is right, guess who's going to be top of mind? It's going to be, you know, Braden sitting there watching playoff hockey. Who I'm super jealous of that he gets to watch his team play playoff hockey. And all of a sudden it's dinner time and, and he's going to head out to Chipotle because he's seen that ad uh, a couple of times and it's and it's top of mind for him. So that I, I think is uh, is is my tip and, and a great example of, of how to um, utilize some of these unattributable touch points uh, that um, you know that that come with so much of the the advertising that we're doing out there today. What do you have for the uh, for the the audience for the, the listeners today, Braden? Yeah, I think there's a couple here that come to mind. The first, I won't belabor too much because I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast will have heard us talk in depth about self-reported attribution, right? And the the core there is just ask people, and this doesn't only have to be on forums or online. Your it can be even if you are massively averse to adding a an open text field, asking people how they heard about you on forums. Well, then encourage your sales team to ask prospects, "How did you hear about us?" Because what there's often, in fact, very often a huge discordance between what GA or HubSpot or Salesforce says was the source and what the prospect or customer says. So that's, that's number one. Again, I won't go deeper than that. People can if they want to. The second is, I think, it returns to what we touched on earlier, which is aligning with teams on business metrics, business level outcomes and metrics. I think, you know, sales marketing alignment is, is another podcast episode entirely, but it's, it's really important that if you have that alignment, then you, you, you have a lot more to bolster claims about marketing because as you push and pull spend, as you test new strategies, you'll see that show up in the numbers over time. And it's, it's hard to argue with that. Final last tip is I think leaning into tactics and strategies that you have an emotional barrier against, but you don't know why, because often there might be something there. You might have an aversion to testing something and you don't know why it is. You just don't want to do it. And I think you'll never know if you don't test it. So those would kind of be my, wow, my big three. risk aversion. One of the, the most uh, frequent uh, cognitive biases out there. It all just came full circle. We're, we're seeing it on the marketing side as well. That's, <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Great way to, to wrap up this episode. So uh, Braden, thank you. This was a, a great chat today. Um, I, I really enjoyed our, our conversation. And for all those listening, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed it too.